Welcome to Kingdom Testimony. This is Lisa. We left off in Intramuros, chapter 10. That begins with a poem from St. Bernard of Cluny. O sweet and blessed country, the home of God's elect, O sweet and blessed country, that eager hearts expect. There stand those halls of Zion, all jubilant with song, and bright with many an angel and all the martyr throng. Not long after this, my brother said, we will go to the grand auditorium this morning. It will be a rare day even here. Martin Luther is to talk on the Reformation, its causes and effects. And this will be supplemented by a talk from John Wesley. There may also be other speakers. It was not the first time we had visited this great auditorium, although I have not hitherto described it. It stood upon a slight eminence and the mighty dome was supported by massive columns of alternate amethyst and jasper. There were no walls to the vast edifice, only the great dome and supporting columns. A broad platform of precious marbles inlaid in porphyry arose from the center from which the seats ascended on three sides, forming an immense amphitheater. The seats were of cedar wood and highly polished, and back of the platform were heavy hangings of royal purple. An altar of solid pearl stood near the center of the platform. The great dome was deep and dark in its immensity, so that only the golden statues around it, its lower border were distinctly visible. All this I had noted at former visits. When we entered, we found the building filled with people eagerly waiting for what was to follow. We soon were seated and also waiting. Soft strains of melody floated about us from an invisible choir. And before long, Martin Luther, in the prime of a vigorous manhood, ascended the steps and stood before us. It is not my purpose to dwell upon his appearance, so familiar to us all except to say that his great intellect and spiritual strength seemed to have added to his already powerful physique and made him a fit leader still, even in heavenly places. His discourse would of itself fill a volume and could not be given even in outline in this brief sketch. He held us enthralled by the power of his will and his eloquence. When he at length retired, John Wesley took his place and the saintly beauty of his face, intensified by the heavenly light upon it, was wonderful. The theme was God's love, and if in that earth life he dwelt upon it with power, he now swept our souls with the fire of his exaltation, until we were as wax in his hands. He showed what that love had done for us, and how an eternity of thanksgiving and praise could never repay it. Silence, save for the faint, sweet melody of the unseen choir, rested upon the vast audience for some time after he left. All seemed lost in contemplation of the theme so tenderly dwelt upon. Then the heavy curtains back of the platform parted and a tall form, about whom all the glory of heaven seemed to center, emerged from their folds and advanced toward the middle of the platform. Instantly, the vast concourse of souls arose to their feet and burst forth as with one voice into that grand anthem 
in which we had so often joined on earth. All hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Such a grand chorus of voices, such unity, such harmony, such volume, was never heard on earth. It rose, it swelled, it seemed to fill not only the great auditorium, but heaven itself. And still, above it all, we heard the voices of the angel choir, no longer breathing the soft, sweet melody, but bursting forth into paeons of triumphant praise. A flood of glory seemed to fill the place, and looking upward we beheld the great dome ablaze with golden light, and the angelic forms of the no longer invisible choir in its midst, with in its midst, with their heavenly harps and vials, and their faces only less radiant than that of him in whose praise they sang. And he, before whom all heaven bowed in adoration, stood with uplifted face and kingly mien, the very God of heaven, earth and heaven. He was the center of all light, and a divine radiance surrounded him that was beyond compare. As the hymn of praise and adoration ceased, all sank slowly to their knees, and every head was bowed and every face covered as the angel choir chanted again the familiar words. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, amen. Slowly the voices died away, and a holy silence fell upon us. Presently, slowly and reverently, all arose and resumed their places. No, not all. Sweet Mary Bates had accompanied us to the sanctuary, and I now noticed that she alone still knelt in our midst, with hands <clears throat> clasped and radiant, uplifted face, her lovely eyes fixed upon the Savior, as he still stood waiting before us, with such a look of self-forgetful adoration and love as made her herself truly divine. She was so rapt I dared not disturb her, but in a moment the master turned and met her adoring eyes with such a look of loving recognition that with a deep sigh of satisfied desire as he turned again, she quietly resume, resumed her seat beside me, slipping her little hand into mine with all the confidence of a child who feels sure it is understood to the utmost. As I looked upon the glorious form before us, clothed in all majesty of the Godhead, my heart tremblingly asked, Can this indeed be the Christ man, whom Pilate condemned to die in ignominious death upon the cross? I could not accept it. It seemed impossible that any man, however vile, could be blind to the divinity so plainly revealed in him. Then the Savior began to speak, and the sweetness of his voice was far beyond the melody of the heavenly choir. And his gracious words, would that I could, would that I dared, describe them as they fell from his lips. Earth has no language by which I could convey their lofty meaning. He first touched lightly upon the earth life and showed so wonderfully the link of light uniting the two lives, the past with the present. Then he unfolded to us some of the earlier mysteries of the blessed life and pointed out the joyous duties just before us. When he ceased, he sat with bowed heads, 
as he withdrew. Oh, we sat with bowed heads as he withdrew. Our hearts were so enfolded, our souls so uplifted, our spirits so exalted, our whole being so permeated with his divinity, that when we arose we left the place silently and reverently, each bearing away a heart filled with higher, more divine aspirations and clearer views of the blessed life upon which we were permitted to enter. I can touch but lightly upon these heavenly joys. There is a depth, a mystery to all that pertains to the divine life, which I dare not try to describe. I could not if I would. I would not if I could. A sacredness enfolds it all that curious eyes should not look upon. Suffice it to say that no joy we know on earth, however rare, however sacred, can be more than the faintest shadow of the joy we there find. No dreams of rapture, here unrealized, approach the bliss of one moment, even in that divine world. No sorrow, no pain, no sickness, no death, no partings, no disappointments, no tears but those of joy, no broken hopes, no mislaid plans, no night, nor storm, nor shadows even, but light and joy and love and peace and rest forever and ever. Amen. And again my heart says reverently, Amen. And that is the end of chapter 10. I heard... Uh, one very respected speaker who has since passed away say uh, his name would be Neville Johnson. I've talked about him before. He is the only person the Lord has said you can literally trust when this guy says that he has visited here, he has walked with the Savior, he's walked with Michael and the angels. Um, he has met Enoch. Enoch has taught him. I know this all sounds outlandish. He's met John the Apostle. I think he even said Paul. I'm just trying to remember and I haven't watched all of his videos. <clears throat> he died in um, 2019. Neville did. But he said that what is good in this world, what is considered godly and trustworthy, such as writings and music and inventions, in this world do carry on to the next. Just because there are things in this world that the devil and the fallen use for evil doesn't mean that God didn't create it for good. So take for example the rainbow. God created the rainbow as a promise and it has been taken to be twisted into a perverted way. Um, <clears throat> the pyramids. Okay, the pyramid is a symbol of like Freemasonry or the Illuminati or, you know, bad things of that nature. But there is evidence that Enoch actually built the first pyramid, the Great Pyramid, with 
God's instruction and with help from the angels. So, you know, everything God created that is good, the enemy will twist into evil so that people stop looking at something that God created as good and they will scorn God's creation. That's one of his agendas. So we have to remember, you know, just because something symbolizes evil in our day, it wasn't always so. Um, <clears throat> and in 1898, you know, that was before the Pentecostal movement. Um, I mean, there, there, I mean, not, not much before, but, and it was possibly just at the very, very beginning of it. I'm not sure of all the dates on that. I know there was revivals around the uh, 1900 mark, but the author is clearly, um, evangelical in nature but more of like a Lutheran or Methodist or you know because she they very highly respect Martin Luther and John Wesley which those were great men I'm not taking away from their accomplishments not taking away from it at all but 125 years ago they did not have the revelation that we have today. God, as we get closer to the end of this age, the almighty great I am is, is preparing his people so he's opening up revelation the closer we get. He would have to. That would be in his nature because he's, he wants to prepare his people. He always warns his people. That is the that is the work of a prophet. He warns his people, there are things coming and you need to prepare your hearts, your families, your lives, your homesteads, you know, whatever it is. And there, there are things coming. We, we know there's things coming. Like today, I have no internet. Do I have internet yet? No, I still don't. And I've been up for three hours. It's morning. But we had a big storm yesterday, and it washed out the road. So I can't get to town. I was supposed to go to town today. And I can't get out. We have one neighbor in about a four, three, four mile radius that has a tractor that can clear the road. We have another neighbor who is dying of cancer right now, as I speak, he's on hospice. And last I saw him about two weeks ago, they figured a couple of weeks, well, the hospice nurses can't get in now because we live so remote. The hospice nurses can't get in to care for him. And his daughter and son-in-law who are staying there can't come and go if something were to happen. So the one neighbor is, now he's got to figure out a way to get gas for his tractor, and I'm sure his tractor can make it out, and I'm sure he is doing the road right now. 
you know, he's a good guy. But but that's just the way it is. You know, the, the further we get into the end times, the more it's going to go back to primitive living, growing your own food, you know, walking to the store, even if it's five miles away like it is for me. <clears throat> and, you know, I would have to carry a gun. There's coyotes and there's... People have dogs. I'm, I wouldn't kill my neighbor's dogs, but I mean, there's there's things out there, you know. There's mountain lions out here, but um, you know, I have bear spray for the lesser for the lesser scary animals. But um, it's going back to the to the wild west, so to speak. They want people to live in the cities, and I'm not quite sure why I'm getting off on this. If you're not interested, you can just end it here and go to the next episode for the next chapter. But they want they want people dependent on the government, and they want people living in the cities because then they can be tracked, and they can. I mean, not that not that they don't know what I'm doing all the time. I mean, it's pretty boring. I'm feeding my chickens and my dog and doing things in the yard, but they want people in the cities dependent on grocery stores, government, all that. They don't want anybody to be independent. But this life out here, I'm telling you, if you have the thought in your mind, if you feel that the Lord is pushing on you, nudging you to get out of the city, and get out into the country, there's very little time left to do it. And, and I'm saying that because I've been out here two years, two and a half years going on. And no, just not about two and a quarter years, doesn't matter. This year, I'm barely growing anything in my garden. I got squash, spinach, lettuce, and some, I think, green cherry tomatoes. Nothing else is growing. So I have to figure out what I'm doing wrong. You know, getting a garden growing, you can't just buy the seeds and say, when that time comes, you know, then I'll grow a garden. You don't just, then I'll grow a garden. You have to build up your soil. You have to build up your compost. You have to get your, your seeds and your, you know, and all those things, which a lot of people have seeds. But for sure out, you know, out in the, in the rural areas, you got rabbits, mice, deer, rats. Yes, there's, there's country rats everywhere, you know, or whatever, groundhogs or whatever, you know, they rodent looking things are. And they will destroy your garden. So then what do you need? You need chicken wire. You need netting. You need more dirt because it's going to settle. You need shading. You, you know, <laughs> <clears throat> so I'm just, it's not my goal to spread fear. Not at all. But if you're thinking about getting prepared and, and getting out of the city, you really should get on it. So, all right, I'm gonna let you go. Uh, 
that is the end of today's episode. This is Kingdom Testimony. This is Lisa, and have a blessed day.